I'm author and critic David Agronoff. I'm a horror and science fiction author, critic, and researcher. In this podcast, I wanted to provide in-depth interviews and panel discussions with everyone from New York Times bestselling authors to researchers, musicians, and anyone I find interesting. Welcome to Postcards from a Dying World. Welcome to a delayed but important episode of Postcards from a Dying World. Um, look, it's a long story, but this was not Prodigy Erasure that we are uh, about a month and a half, maybe even longer, late on um, doing a Star Trek Prodigy breakdown episode. I meant to do it at the time, but the problem was it was just timing. It was a weird thing. Um, Isa was a part of, and we really wanted Sarah to be a part of, but just couldn't work out the timing of, uh, my 100th episode on V and V the final battle, but we are going to talk to Sarah about it. Sarah, did you watch V by the way? Um, did you finish it or did you just start it? I didn't finish it. I started oh. it. It was super compelling. It was like, I had to watch it through a specific app that I only have on the, on the Apple TV in the gym. And so it was like difficult to get back into it, but it was like, I totally intended on it because even though obviously it was dated, it was dated in a very charming way and I wanted to watch more. Yeah. Well, good. See, that's what we wanted to know. We wanted to know somebody who didn't grow up with it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious when you finally watch it, if you ever get on the app in the gym or whatever, I am curious to see what you think. All right. I will totally watch your your episode first and I'll let you know. (laughs) So here's the thing. Um, the reason why we didn't do Prodigy is because um, the timing of getting together to do the 100th episode b- created a backlog of episodes. And I had like three or four episodes I had to get out before we could talk about Prodigy. Also, real life, like my Star Trek crew was having a hard time getting together at that time just because we had things going on. And I'm sorry, but I guarantee you with with Picard will be on it um, and we'll get back to kind of a more regular schedule. Also, Star Trek just took a lot of time off, which we weren't prepared for, right? That's like, we, we've we been so spoiled. We've been getting Star Trek consistently for so long. Um, this has been a weird kind of experience. But as we record this, we are on the eve, the week of Picard coming out and Sarah gets to go New York City and see some of the cast and watch the first two we think episodes uh, live in New York with an audience. So yeah, we're not jealous at all. Exciting. Yeah, <laughs> not at all. But here's the thing: we're here to talk about Star Trek Prodigy, and I'm really happy to talk about Star Trek Prodigy because um, I think it was awesome and. Uh, you know, we got a lot to break down here. I rewatched the finale last night, but uh, other than that, I watched them as they came. So some of my memory of it won't be as good as this some other times, but we've got Issa who literally just finished watching it yesterday, I assume, right? Well, but to, no, I, I watched it. Uh, so I watched the first half of the season when it came out, 
So that's been a while since. Yeah, we did a panel on that. Yeah, right. Go back and listen to that. And then I watched the more recent ones about a week ago. So yeah, uh, I relatively fresh, but but yeah, amazing. I I absolutely loved it, and I'm I'm struggling to figure out what we're going to talk about for the next while because I'm just going to keep saying it was great. I loved it. Well, we'll talk about the things that make it great. Um, We came close to, but couldn't get the timing right. To have David Mack on, who's a Star Trek author, who um, was the creator was the canon consultant for the creators on Star Trek. But there's some really good articles out there about it. And uh, David and I talked a little bit about his experience. Um, he had a lot of very positive experience experiences and had positive influence. But there was also one episode where they did not listen to him, and he was very upset about it. So we'll talk about that um at some point when we get there um but um before we get into um our thoughts on episode by episode um overall um i guess i'm gonna say like we you already said you said that that you loved it do you think the second half of the season was better than the first half because i personally uh believe that to be true uh, the only difference I would say is I really thought it took an episode or two to get started. Like I remember thinking the first episode was a little slow of the original, uh, the, the first episode of the entire season, the, the series premiere is what I'm trying to say. Um, so these these new ones were kind of farther along in the story and more established. So it was easier for them to just be faster. So I guess in that sense, yes. But I, I really try to think of the whole it's a shame that they didn't release it all at once. You know, like I, I wish I could have just watched the whole thing at once, but um, you know, I'm just going to go straight to the hyperbole and uh, say, it's my favorite new track thing that I've seen by far, you know, just to just, it's, I love it. It's, it's, it's perfect. I wish it wasn't a cartoon, but aside from being a cartoon, it is perfect. It's 10 out of 10 with the caveat that it's a cartoon. Uh, Sarah, your overall thoughts on uh the first half of the season versus the second half. Uh, I agree. And I think that it's just that they took a while to set up the characters. And I'm glad that they took a while to set up the characters because they should, it shouldn't, it shouldn't really be something that's rushed. And certainly I didn't notice anything was lacking in the first season because there was so much fun in all of those characters, like for a cartoon, they're all very complex characters. And I really appreciate that as well as really taking advantage of, you know, the the technology by being able to, you know, make any kind of crazy alien they want um, because they're not limited by a costume and effects budget um, and a makeup budget. And so, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that they took a long time to set things up and set up the characters. But yeah, I mean, it really, it's just a payoff the second half of the first season because it just gets it ramps up and all of a sudden you're like oh my god this is like a very serious very complex star star trek story smack cartoon which i was expecting i wasn't expecting them to go there i was expecting them to have sort of episodic like you know they get into minor scrapes and then they get themselves out of it with janeway's help and something a little bit pluckier and faster and so the fact that they went more complex and that they took a long time to tell the story over the course of the of the season was really you know one of the things that makes it not you know it's for children but it's also not for children so it you know it's one of the reasons why it works really well i think for adults right and um one you know 
Okay, so for me, my, one of my thoughts on, um, and I told this story on the podcast before, so I hate to do this, but I'm going to do this again. I think what I really realized that I loved Prodigy was when I watched the live stream of Kate Melgrew visiting the Captain Janeway statue of Bloomington, Indiana, my hometown. And part of the whole pomp and circumstances, they had a flutist in a Starfleet uniform playing Star Trek themes like as she was showing up. And when she started playing the Prodigy theme on the flute, I got emotional. And I was like, it was so great that like KML Grew was showing up to the statue <laughs> and they were playing that. And then I was like, oh man, it wasn't just the Voyager theme that made me emotional. It was the Prodigy theme. And the Voyager theme, I've got like, you know, de two decades of hearing it. But the Prodigy theme, well, and by the way, I think the Prodigy theme is the best theme of all the new Star Treks of just the theme intro. And, but what it taught me was that I had grown attached to the characters. And for me, one thing was, is that I found some of the characters, as much as I liked the show and the stories that they were telling, it wasn't until the second half of the season that I started to actually like Dahl and like some of the characters and you know be glad to be around them some like rock talk i thought was cute from the beginning and you know um and that's the thing is when, obviously yeah murphy's yeah. super cute from the beginning yeah and um i kind of didn't like them the one of the few criticisms i have is i didn't like them giving murph more of a more of a humanoid body in that transformation. I kind of like Murph being like the straight up slime more in the beginning, I, but that's like a nitpick. That's a tiny thing. So, um, but what I really liked about the series as a whole, if we're looking at it as an overall thing is balancing the idea of making it stories that could appeal to kids that were exciting, that were short, that were quick, but had enough to compel adults to watch that's a very hard and thin line to balance for the creators of the ship and i, I think the i'm oh, sorry go ahead i didn't know i ahead. didn't see the hand coming <laughs> yeah um i think the most impressive thing about it and and there's so many good things about it but if you step back for a second and think about it in the in like the realm of larger track and the different track shows they managed to have a federation ending threat that worked really well like the stakes were really well done like it was it was big stakes without being i mean it was the biggest stakes right it was like we're going to destroy the entire federation without it being some it it didn't suffer from that same like this you know the universe is ending kind of threat that some other uh series have have suffered from you know like it's not like it didn't feel like we have to come up with the biggest threat possible. It just felt very natural and it it worked very well. And that was, that's really hard to pull off, like balancing the stakes. And they did a really good job with that. Yeah. And they were able to balance the serialized storytelling with a uh, episodic nature to a degree um, and, and in a much better way than I think, I think they did it. They did it smoother than discovery. I'm not complaining about, yeah. you know, Again, I wasn't going to name discovery names. hat. I wasn't, I'm I wasn't discovery. Names. Do not take that as anti-discovery talk. Um, but 
I think that they did it in a way that was a little bit smoother. So, um, in, in that sense, and we got. I think we're just a little bit more gracious when it comes to animated content because if frame for frame, that you know we had we had Prodigy live action, I think that a lot of it would seem more juvenile, um, and you know there'd be more a sense of oh, there's a plot hole here, or why don't they just literally write a note on the they keep passing each other these ships where they can see each other physically just put a fucking note on the windshield or whatever of the bridge that says hey this is what's going on um yeah that was i think some of the dialogue janeway has that really is really charming when she's a soon would not work uh with live action because it would come across as a little bit simplistic or whatever so i do think that we're also a little bit you know more willing to forgive its faults that would be much more like faults or much more like plot holes if it were live action sure and um i do think now isa did you see any of um kate melgaru's like little videos where she talks about the um hi captain picard i'm a little distracted sorry <laughs> so um <laughs> did you see any of the uh videos that kate melgaru did after each episode she has one like no I, I didn't see any of them i didn't know that yeah one. so one of the cool things that she did is that each episode has a video that they put out on twitter or whatever where she talks about the message of each episode and what's great is is that you know the series does have a message each episode where you know like one will be about this episode's about loyalty and this episode's about you know being with your friends and um i think that that's one really cool thing about um about prodigy is that they they gave cape melgrew um you know this opportunity to do this and what's neat too is the role that this series can play for cape melgrew too is somebody who um you know wasn't as beloved as people would think she was when she was doing voyager um not fairly anyways and part of the thing was is she was so stressed out and overworked she was trying to raise kids and she said it herself that she didn't have time to engage with the fans in the way that she can now right and um yeah. so this is giving um kate melgrew a kind of like rebirth with the fans and a chance for everybody to kind of connect with the woman who played the first like series leading captain on Star Trek. And I think the role that Prodigy is playing for kind of um, bringing Kate Malgrew back and like being a stealth sequel to, Voy to Voyager is, is great. You know, they didn't set out to make a sequel to Voyager, but they kind of ended up doing that, you know? Full disclosure, I need to go back and watch Voyager because I haven't seen all of it. I, uh, I've watched... I watched it on and it was it came out at a very busy time in my life and I watched it on and off when I could, but I've probably only seen less than half of it. So I'm going to now and I didn't actually want to go watch the rest of it. But now that I've seen uh, Captain Janeway in action on, on this show, I want to go back and watch the whole thing. So, yeah, if I went sure back, you can go back because I when Voyager came out. I watched it up until they introduced Seven of Nine so badly that I quit <laughs> out of protest. I was so enraged yeah. it was so gross i mean i was like a teenager i guess i was like in my late teens early 20s and i was just like no this is not this is this is insulting to all of womandom and so i stopped and so i'm glad i went back 
fucking Rick well they managed to salvage that character and from the introduction and turn the character into an actually very interesting character and um they did yeah and um you know it's funny because uh yeah well anyways i talked to brendan braga about that in my interview with him um they were the 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 uh a lot of how she was introduced was was forced on the team and they had they got to do a lot of the things they wanted to do with that character the longer they they had it you know and which, which is good and we're now seeing that play out in picard which is great and uh but as far as being the stealth sequel to voyager um a lot of that's gonna continue to play out um and we'll talk about that after we get to the finale so the first episode of the season was was the Kobayashi Maru episode, which of course plays with, you know, the the uh, dreaded Kobayashi Maru test from. Uh, um... Oh, and by the way, the videos are called "Set a Course with Kate Malgaru." Okay. And for example, like when you look up the Kobayashi Maru on on IMDb, which I just did um the video comes up and um the the message of that episode is called the needs of the many which is you know them playing on wrath of khan right and right. so we but one of the cool things in this episode is is they got you know we got spock we got ohura we got uh uh odo and by the way uh, um like even renee um i never know how to pronounce his name Aborger. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. You know, he was going to come back and play Odo before he passed away. He was like, that was a plan. That was a thing that was going to happen. And so heartbreaking. We, yeah. And, but what's cool is, is that um, it's, it's funny because, you know, the writers talked about how like, they didn't want to have like all just one crew. And so it's kind of cool that they got this random of like, you know who's available who can we do and then you know um and that kind of thing and that's how it kind of came together but um and then one thing that's cool too is that you'll see too like with this episode is that even though it's about the kobayashi maru and and all that and doll like trying to figure out how to be a captain at the same time you have a whole storyline with um uh oh my gwen right and you have that whole thing and so it was showing right from the the get-go that they were getting better at balancing multiple a and a and b storylines and and doing a good job with that and so any thoughts on the first episode that anybody you know we don't have to talk about absolutely every episode but that i thought that was an important one so nope okay moving on <laughs> oh we lost there she was having some technical difficulties, so I think. Uh... Well, pause. So we're back. Um, so the second episode of the series of the season, and I'm not necessarily going to go through every single one, but I think the second one's important too because this is the one where we saw dolls, dolls, um, uh, background with the Ferengi, um, with the Ferengi character, and kind of connecting him more to an alpha alpha quadrant species. But I think more importantly, it shows a little bit about how how far Dahl has to go from from being, um, you know, basically a slave to to a Ferengi to, you know, trying to, uh, you know, run this, you know, 
be the captain of the ship, right? So, um, anybody else have any thoughts on that episode? Because I thought that one was a really uh, particularly good one. But um, also, I think that's where I started to like Doll. But I'm trying to remember which uh, which episode is which exactly. Like I'm a little uh, a little fuzzy on the. Uh... They've all bled together. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um... It's like one long episode in my head. <laughs> well, then maybe less. Maybe I'll do less of each individual one. But I do think um, the body I... swapping one had me in stitches, though. That yeah, was hilarious. That was yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> I thought the episode time of the one called Time Amok, where um, where they were like fractured in time, and Jane, the Janeway hologram was basically the lead character throughout the episode, was one of the most Star Trek of episodes. Yeah, and it that reminded was in the first half, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, and that reminded me too of the episode where they were going. There's an episode of Voyager where they're going through this weird part of space where they put everybody in stasis and it was seven of nine alone on the ship. And, um, and I thought it was a good callback to that episode. Um, what did you guys think of the letting sleeping boards lie, like bringing the Borg into the storyline? Because to me, that was one of my least favorite elements of this season. Um, it didn't work. It did not work. Yeah. Cause that's why I wanted to bring it up. Cause I didn't think it worked because the Borg are meant to be scary and they just kind of, um, you know, they just seem to be outrunning them and it just didn't seem like that story. It seemed forced to try to put the Borg in there. So to me, that was one of, was one of the um, missteps of the season. One of the few missteps. I couldn't, I couldn't really understand what the point of that, of that episode was like, it wasn't like they gained something by doing that, I guess they had the whole thing with um, Zero and, you know, uh, the sort of mind meld situation, sort of setting it up for later, but it was a really awkward way to get there. It felt like a filler, which is weird for an animated thing, because it's like... It did. I sort of forgotten about that one because it was so early in the season. And it, it was really weird. The next episode was sort of when I hit my stride in remembering everything and was like, oh my God, this show's amazing. But so this one sort of slipped under the radar for me a little bit. But yeah, it was it was not the Borg encounter that you would have expected. Yeah. So that is, then let's talk about the one after that. Because that one, the one after that one is a big one, which is the All the Worlds of Stage that was a direct sequel to a original series episode, The Immunity Syndrome, which is not exactly a beloved episode of TOS, right? I was um, actually I, waiting for this podcast to for you to tell me about which episode it was from because I couldn't remember. <laughs> right. So what happens is they lose a shuttlecraft um, into this like giant amoeba-like thing in the original series episode. And so this episode supposes that that shuttlecraft ends up on this other world and these people start like basically a religion based on on everything that they know from the tapes that are on board the shuttle. So you have people that talk like Star Trek characters and then you have Starflight (laughs) and it's like, it's almost Star Trek, but it's just slightly off. And I know you say you love this episode. Oh, I, I liked it. this episode, but I didn't seem to love it like every 
like most people did. I loved that it was a sequel to the immunity syndrome. It was my favorite thing about it. But other than that, like, why did you like this episode so much? Oh, it killed me. I was just laughing nonstop watching it. Um, just hearing people talk like Kirk and Sulu. And, I mean, that was hilarious. Um, yeah, I, I just thought it was uh, it was clever in a lot of in a lot of different ways. And it was it was, you know, it wasn't like the greatest like story and I'm going to think about it forever or whatever, but it was just, it was hilarious the same way that I like, like galaxy quest or, or, uh, it totally uh, reminded me of galaxy quest. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally. Well, yeah. The historical documents thing and and all that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was definitely, um, a really, well, and it was good too, because I think that, um, for if, if your mission is to like get kids into Star Trek, tying it to the original series is something that now gives the kids a reason to go back. I, although it gets the kids to go back and watch not one of the best episodes. Um, you know, <laughs> kids aren't gonna, your kids aren't going to like the original series. Just speaking from personal experience, that it's too old and it's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most- yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's probably true. Um, and then um, one of the coolest callbacks comes in the next episode, um, Crossroads, where um, where they in, were. What's the name of the the character? He he was the super cool guy from TNG. Um, I'm gonna lose some Star Trek credibility here. Um, uh, hold on, I gotta look up his name. The, the super uh, cool guy. Oh, from- Akona. Akona. Yeah, Rage's yeah. Akona. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, so this episode Crossroads brings back the outright the the Akona from there's an episode of the early TNG where this guy comes on the ship and it's supposed to be like he's the coolest guy in the galaxy and everybody wants to be like him and it's a really goofy episode of TNG. Yeah, and... they were really trying hard to have their own little Han Solo. I do right. not remember. I do not remember that. What else <laughs> happens in that episode? Um, well, it's funny because you find out that there are these in that episode, you find out that there are these like um, these two political figures that there are kind of in a Romeo and Juliet thing. And Okona is like, like looking like he's trying to romance the woman but really he's covering up so he so for these two people to have their romance it's I a very tos episode of tng okay. yeah but um bringing back this character and actually getting the actor who played him to voice the character um is is a pretty funny thing for prodigy to do right and that's a very lower decks move but i think yeah. he was on lower decks too like he sh- yeah yeah, he appeared, he appeared in Lower Decks a little bit as well. So, but, um, and he kind of plays the same role here where Dahl, like, is jealous because everybody thinks Okona's, like, the cool new guy who's going to help him. So it, it calls back TNG in that, too. Um, Sarah, what did you think of this episode? It was cute. I mean, you know, I liked the reference. I definitely recognized him. And you know, even recognized his voice. And I thought that's got to be the same guy. And of course it was. So, but beyond that, you know, it was sort of moving the story along. Yeah, I, I liked, uh, 
I, I thought it was good. I thought it was an interesting way for them. I liked how they had Janeway putting it all together and being like, these are kids. And, uh, and you know, how, how are they able to evade this, the Romulan uh, squad or whatever, you know, like it was kind of, it was like, how are they doing all this? This is crazy. Right. And this episode is where it really, they felt like they were being a part of the Star Trek universe more so than being off in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. And just getting little bits and pieces. Um, I will say, I do think, and I know on Trek culture, they've talked about this, but um, like hologram Janeway comes off a little bit smarter than actual Janeway for a lot of this, because it feels like there's a lot of scenes where real Janeway should be making connections a little bit quicker. And I, I don't know how everybody else felt about that, but that, but once that was pointed out to me, I couldn't stop seeing that like, oh, she didn't notice that this character was betraying her. She didn't. I just felt like I started to notice that. And I don't know if anybody else That's felt the that stuff way. that, again, works because it's a cartoon. And it wouldn't work if it was live action and everything else was the same. Because it, you, there's just another level of surreality that you can hide behind when you have a cartoon. And, you know, Janeway can be mostly like Janeway, but not quite. So... Yeah, I, I didn't notice that. I, I thought that uh, like the only the only thing that seemed a little to not quite make sense for me is like at the end, they well, I don't want to I'll say this later. Sorry. Apologies. Uh, but I, I didn't think there was any reason for the for the real life cartoon Janeway to suspect anything aside from what she had been told. I mean, it wasn't like. You don't, you know, if she had immediately gone to this is a group of kids who've stolen a ship when they escaped from slavery, like that would have been, how did you figure that out? You know, so I, I like that it was like, you know, I, I like the uh, the escaped, uh, the guy who, the guy whose station got blown up, exaggerating the story and, you know, not mentioning that they were kids and that kind of stuff. Like, I, I thought that was, that was what would happen in real life, you know, like, like, that's like reading a police report, you know what I mean? <laughs> like... <laughs> Right. And um I did I did like the storyline of the, the Starfleet guy just kind of being out there like he's got this ridiculous was that Jason Alexander who played that guy? Like the voice of that? Like or am I remembering wrong? Um, I, I don't know. I didn't see that. I didn't recognize the voice, but I, I feel don't... like he has an unrecognizable enough voice that we all would have noticed, but I might be wrong. Yeah. Now, the next episode is Masquerade, where they're still trapped in the neutral zone. And I like the storyline that, you know, the neutral zone is a good place for them to hide, to not encounter the Federation. So that was kind of a good use of existing Star Trek lore to kind of um, put them in that or, or to have them hiding. But this is where we get revealed that um, about uh, Dahl's uh, genetic origin and this idea that he is a kind of a chimera of like 27 different species and I thought that that was a really interesting thing to do for a main character and it also kind of plays with the theme that we're dealing with in um, Strange New World so it's interesting because it's it's playing with the overall themes of, of modern Star Trek a little bit there what did you guys think about that storyline and how that's starting to play out with doll uh, I, thought, uh, I, I thought it was 
it was a little bit um again as sarah would will probably say and when it's her turn that uh it was very cartoony you know <laughs> like you wouldn't have been able to get away with that in live action but um you know i I felt that the magic abilities were a little too much, but that was okay for a cartoon, whatever, you know? Um, And, uh, you know, but I I think the origin is cool. I think, I think it is interesting that Star Trek writ large is kind of uh, uh, approaching the genetic engineering thing. They already already have obviously throughout Star Trek, but sorry about the screaming kids. Um, But uh, I think that's interesting, and it it led to an interesting ending. I was surprised that the ending went the way it did, but uh, we'll get to that, I assume. Yeah, and so uh, Sarah, any thoughts on that episode? No, I mean, I I completely agree. I was it's one of the things that made me kind of go, if this was live action, this would be a lot sillier. Um, yeah. But I did like it, and you know, I like the character. Like it's an interesting character. Um, just, I mean, it's every time I watch that character, I'm like, man, he would be so fun to cosplay if you could figure out how to do it because he's just so cool looking. But yeah, I think that, you know, oh, someone's going to get away with stuff. Somebody's definitely going to figure it out. But there's a lot of stuff that they get away with. And that's, that is the perfect example of, you know, being able to leverage what you have or what you can do with cartoons and that wall that exists between real life and cartoons where people are just kind of going to go with it and you know willing suspension of disbelief and all of that is a little different when you're watching a cartoon than when you're watching live action you're more critical yeah so then we had the the diviner kind of um becoming um like waking up um on board of uh janeway's ship and finding out that there's a sleeper agent um uh uh pretending to be a Bajoran on um Janeway's ship and what did you guys think about this the the storyline with the sleeper agent and the diviner I kind of I kind of liked that twist um I thought it it like presented an an interesting um juxtaposition for like where the diviner's loyalties would eventually go and I thought that that I thought that was a good storyline and Anybody else really in favor of that one? Yeah. I mean, it's like, and one of those things that when I was watching it, I remember thinking, I, I kept trying to think like, what would I, what would my in, interpretations of this be if I was eight years old? You know, yeah. I was eight years old when TNG premiered and it had this very strong effect on me, but I can't imagine having something like Prodigy when I was that young. Um and like stuff like the diviner, like he is terrifying. I would be absolutely terrified of him if I, if I was a kid watching this, you know. So I feel like, and even though we talked about how compared to the stuff we're used to with the Borg, the cartoon version of the Borg is not scary. But if you've never seen any of the adult stuff before and you're watching this with a kid, it would be pretty creepy, you know, the way that they that they presented them. So I keep asking myself that as I watch it, like what how would I be viewing this as a kid who's never seen, this is my introduction to Star Trek. A lot of people have asked me over the years, like how to get their kids into Star Trek or what's the best series. And now that Prodigy is out, I'm like, this is the best introduction because it is it's tailor-made for them. It's perfect. Yeah, I've, I've been trying to get my kids to watch Star Trek forever and my my nine-year-old likes Prodigy. So this is the first, first success I've had, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> 
so um the next episode is ghost in the machine which is the holodeck episode i wasn't really in oh wait you know there's one other aspect of the preludes one i believe it was in that which is where was it that one or the holodeck one where they got into the past of the um of rock talk and in the crew oh it was the the preludes episode that was the yeah. uh that yeah, was the and one. i really like oh, the backstory for rock talk that was yeah that was kind of tear jerkery and you know i i could because i really like that character and i think she you know she's great um i really like that now what did you guys think about learning the, that backstory starting with isa I, I thought it was great and i i want to just call it the Django pog backstory like he's kind of the most annoying character to me like my least liked character probably and that backstory was fantastic like i i really it was so rushed but it was really good like the explaining why he talks funny was like hilarious like i thought that was really well done like because he had he was like you're supposed to you know like i think you get this idea that he was alone on the ship fixing stuff for like years right and right. like that was the only one he could talk to and then having to sacrifice himself for the crew without i love that i did not see that any of that coming and i was really impressed and that made me like him much more as a character obviously so mission accomplished on the origin story but they were all good all the origins were good sarah i totally agree with that okay. i yeah i i love that episode yeah okay so the holodeck episode um i this one i i get what they're trying to do I got what they were trying to do. It was, but I like Murph singing in the noir bar. Like, I'm sure there are plenty of people that really enjoyed that, and I don't begrudge them. But uh, just this episode didn't work for me. I just, it just Every, I, everything Murph does is perfect. I will not. I don't understand the question. I will not listen to it. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I thought it gave it gave you. I love Murph so much. It wasn't like the best episode of anything I've ever seen, but it was like, it gave you a little more insight into everyone's character, you know, like you have Dahl as the pirate ship captain. And yeah, it was, it was an interesting, it was sort of like, uh, you get to peek into everyone's diary a little bit and, and it, was, yeah. it was pretty well done. Yeah. I understand what they're trying to do. Yeah. I just, um, I, you know, and maybe that week I was just, wasn't feeling it or whatever, but, um, but yeah, then we get into the body swap, the mind walk episode. Um, and uh, it's funny because I really enjoyed this episode when it was on. And I admit that at the same time that my Star Trek brain was doing the same thing it was doing during most of the J.J. Abrams movies where I was like, maybe I'm enjoying this, but this doesn't make sense to me. And the idea of spacewalking during warp, I just like cannot handle. However, I really enjoyed the episode anyways, because I thought all the stuff with doll and Jane way being switched was very funny. And, but it also was so important story-wise for Jane way to learn about the crew that way was great and then the, the the humor of doll being janeway and not understanding what he was doing and making janeway was was very funny so i will forgive the stuff that i didn't like um which we'll get to in a little bit but how did you guys feel about that episode love that episode it's so funny i was like on watching that on a train <laughs> on the mnr 
from Manhattan to, to Connecticut. And I was like, this is hilarious. I was just like sitting there on the train laughing to myself like an idiot. And I was just so happy because it was just so true to the Jane Ray character, what, what they did in inverse. And even though we've only known Doll for a couple of episodes, it really worked. Like they didn't just, they didn't just sort of, you know, make him like an, the sort of stereotype annoying teenage kid who doesn't know what he's doing person. Um, I mean, to a certain extent, obviously that's what the character's based on, but they're just, it was just done so realistically to what we already know of the character. It was t- I totally bought it. I was, uh, I was so on board with that. I, I like the, uh, I feel like there's like this mirror episode thing where, where, you know, in the original series uh, episode, the good guys are okay at pretending to be the bad guys, but the bad guys are terrible at pretending to be the good guys. You know, and I, I think it's always, I'm a huge fan of the body swap genre in general, like the Freaky Fridays and all, all those. Um, and uh, <laughs> I think it was really entertaining watching how the two of them reacted like like sarah said they can they you know even though doll's not like a character we've known for a very long time they did it perfectly um and it was definitely very entertaining and it was a great way to to move the story along and make sure that janeway was like on their side you know like that was really well done i do agree on the uh merging the war bubbles and spacewalking part that was a little uh that seemed a little really? different. Yeah. <laughs> well on that, um, and I will say the last thing I'll say on on Mind Walk is that on paper it's it's what I it it's an idea that if you pitched the idea before I watched it, I would have been like ah, I don't know, but the execution was so good that um, you know I'm fine with it. As for the the, the warp bubble thing, if you go back on my timeline uh, on Facebook, it's funny that when the episode aired, I I. I posted a thing saying how much I love the episode and there was a very funny reaction from David Mack, who uh, was of course the creative consultant on the series. And he was very upset about this warp bubble thing because apparently he went to the mat to try and stop it. Um, <laughs> but he read the script and was still angry about being ignored. <laughs> Um, on it and said that it was the one thing in the whole season that he was ignored on (laughs) and that he uh, really fought uh, against it to the point that when he posted about it um, if you read even his post he looks angry his words look angry still (laughs) about it which is very funny which is one of the reasons why I invited him to come on the show to talk about it um because um uh, and it's funny they gave him a lot of props the the creators of the show gave him a lot of props about the finale because and when we get to the finale we'll talk about how david had a huge influence on one of the things that happens in the finale and they gave him a lot of props because one of his suggestions is clearly going to be showing the direction towards season two right like one of the things that he he kind of course corrected them on and um and it's it's really funny because he was obviously so upset about this warp bubble thing <laughs> and just like um and uh because like what i said like he was like that's not how warp bubbles work and then i responded well weren't you a consultant on the show and his response was and they didn't listen to me <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst when you you don't want to get no, you don't want to be yelled at for something that you tried to fight against. That's always that's tiring. so funny. 
Yeah. So shout out to David Mack, uh, who, uh, you know, was very upset about the warp bubble. Um, and then we got our finale, Supernova Part 1 and 2, which is a little confusing because there was a Star Trek Prodigy video game called Supernova, <laughs> which is different, but has the same name and released in the same year. So that's a little weird, but um, I haven't played the video game. I don't play video games, um, but uh, I might be um, uh, convinced to play a Prodigy video game, maybe someday. But um, yeah, so this is where the storyline all comes together and the Federation Armada shows up. And, um, you know, for one thing, there's a little bit of a flex on Picard that where Picard season one, they were so lazy about making a Starfleet fleet that they just copy and pasted the same ship a thousand times. <laughs> and here we definitely see them flexing on Picard by having many, many different ships, different styles of ships. And then eventually we get Klingon ships and Vulcan ships. And um, so one thing, um, uh, and this is the first time we got like really good view of Klingons and Prodigy, which was great. We got a bird of prey. We've got lots of things, but story-wise, um, this is the whole thing coming to a head. And um, I um, don't know if we should talk about it individually or just talk about it as a whole finale. What do you guys think? This is a whole, whole finale. I think okay. they, they're seamless. So yeah. And then the, and, and first of all, like, Speed as somebody who watches week to week, which you didn't, Isa. Um, it was a great, um, uh, it was a great tease, and I really, it was the first time with Prodigy where I was like, God damn it, I gotta wait a whole week. Usually I'm okay. I'm like, I, you know, I'll watch next week, whatever. But I was like, primed for the whole thing. Um, what I will say is, as a whole finale, my first general thoughts is that um, the entire finale was a complete tearjerker for me. The second half, on many levels, and we can talk about the scenes that got me as we go on, but the very first thought that I had was I actually got emotional watching the second half and two or three scenes, and that is when I learned that I really like the characters and, you know, and, and their journey, and I loved the solution that they came up with and I like the, the direction that they were heading off into, which we can break down more of general thoughts on the finale, Sarah. I think it was great. I, I, um, it was surprising actually, because I thought, you know, because of the cartoon thing, they're just gonna wave their hands and be like, oh, it's fine. You can all go to Starfleet Academy. Um, and so I was sort of glad that they didn't do that because on some level you want some cohesion with you know, those worlds like you, and I think that it's okay for them to deviate from it in small ways, but I think it would have been a big deal if they had, you know, allowed that in the cartoon. And then, you know, it was such a bigger deal in like Strange New Worlds with Una, that kind of thing, um, to have an augmented person. So I was really glad that they came up with an alternate way to make everybody happy that you know didn't do that because that word really wasn't what i was expecting isa your general thoughts before we get into nitty-gritty on the finale yeah overall it was fantastic they really tied it up well um 
Yeah, I, I don't even know what to add to what Sarah said. That was uh it was it was definitely entertaining. The you know, it was it had highs and lows emotionally. It was definitely it, it bring it brought out a lot of emotions. It was def the uh man, the hologram sacrifice that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we'll get there in a, in a minute. But by the way, that was the influence of David Mack that they did not get into Starfleet. The original script had them getting into Starfleet. Um the two brothers who created the series <laughs> admitted that David Mack was the one that convinced them not to have them go into Starfleet. Because a Starfleet uh, Academy season would have been really boring. Yeah, that had been their original plan was to have them be in Starfleet Academy the next season. And But David Mack said to him, like, hey, there's thousands of worlds, tons of people trying to get into Starfleet Academy. That would make everyone so angry if they just all got into Starfleet. Yeah, like right away and it doesn't make sense in the in the world and maybe another solution is, is that they could get mentored by Janeway and then that totally changed the direction of where they were going with season two um, and I think it's setting up which clearly the ship they're going to is Voyager the new Vo- Voyager A it's clear they haven't said it, but it's going to be Voyager A, um, you know, because Janeway says we've got bigger plans for you. Um, right. So the sacrifice of the of the of hologram Janeway, the the message when they're all sitting there listening to the message was super emotional for me. <laughs> I like felt it a hundred percent when they showed them like in the bay. Um, and the ship's coming down and they're all waving from the ship I got emotional because I was like we don't know how they got there they were out there for a month they didn't have seats they that's not an easy trip you know totally so I'm thinking about all those things and 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 I but I, I liked all that and I thought it was part of what made it emotional Janeway giving the impassioned speech to defend doll to defend like them all together and that's a Starfleet tradition because we how many times we see Kirk put on trial for stealing the Enterprise to save Spock or whatever. And like, you know, this is this is the thing we've seen in Star Trek before. So it it it's a part of the tradition. Um and Janeway, like when when the Vulcan guy says, you know, the criminals who stole the ship, and she's like, Yeah, they saved all of us, and that whole thing. There's a great moment when the protostar is going through and, and just the sacrifice of the protostar itself it's just something i didn't see like we built the show around the ship so i was assuming that the next season we were going to have the protostar so the sacrifice not just of hologram janeway but of the protostar itself is 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 a true loss you know yes. and it's something that they built up to so these are all things i really 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 liked but the recreating the wormhole and opening the path to Chicote Ch- and stuff was a really, really nice. I didn't see that one coming necessarily right away. So that was yeah. really nice. Yeah. So they're doing a good job of planting seeds for season two, which is which is all great stuff and creating speculation. Um uh unfortunately, um they you know, like David Max not coming back. A lot of the writers aren't coming back because the animation ended up being way more expensive. Oh no! <laughs> than they expected. So they have half the writing staff that they had the first season. Oh, geez. and 
Yeah, and a lot a lot of people are not coming back. So they're gonna be it's gonna be a tighter ship behind the scenes. Um that is one of the things that we learned in the end about Prodigy is it ended up being twice as expensive to produce as they expected. Hmm. One of the reasons why they should we should have just had two shorter seasons because if they're gonna release them separately anyway, I mean the first half of season one should have been season one, then the second half should have been season two because I wouldn't have noticed. I mean you know, right. they're short, but there's essentially there was 10 of them. We didn't need 20 of them for a whole first yeah. season. It's just, it's just surprising given how modern yeah. television works nowadays, where you have entire like seasons that are comprised of eight episodes. It's just, yeah. it was surprising. Well, and part of that was, is that they, it's kind of like their appetite was bigger than their stomach. They, um, when they started off, they, thought it was going to be a little bit easier to produce than, than it was um and i think one of the reasons why is that i think they wrote the full season and then when they got to producing it like you know they ended up splitting the season because it was like what well, this animation is way harder than we expected hmm. this style and it was way harder to produce um and one of the things people got to realize is that like animation like people say well it doesn't cost any money because you're just drawing or you're just <laughs> like the <laughs> amount yeah the amount of hours involved in the animation makes things expensive so and yeah. computer animation it's a lot of work so this show ended up being much harder to produce than they expected so we are going to get another season but they're having to trim some of the fat behind the scenes unfortunately in order to make sure and so i do suspect that our next season is going to be shorter i suspect the next season will be a 10 episode season i think the reason i hope so and i hope they 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 shorten it rather than shorten the quality and yeah maybe like not have like the, the borg episodes the filler episodes right yeah. it seems like a really bad decision to say we've got this working everybody loves it let's cut some staff you know yeah yeah unfortunately that's that's kind of the way it went so um but we'll we'll see because um the thing is is that we love it i don't know how much the numbers like behind the scenes are i know right. a lot of people who like live action star trek that are just like i'll watch prodigy when i get paramount plus back for picard and then i'll yeah. i'll watch it but and then you know Issa and I spent this morning trying to convince our friend uh, Ryan, who was Downey, who was on our Strange New Worlds episode. We were trying to convince Ryan to watch Prodigy, and I've been trying to convince Ryan for a while. He's a big fan of Star Wars cartoons, so he should, should be okay with it. But, um, and that's the thing is a, a lot of these animated series are are you know like right now, um, for example, the Bad Batch in Star Wars just had two incredibly dark episodes. And if you can't tell me they're not writing these episodes for adults anyways, you know, like adult Star Wars fans. So if we, I do think with Prodigy, they are aiming for kids. So, but yeah. if we could, I do think it's part of the message of like, for example, like I don't feel the need necessarily to post every week. Like I liked Prodigy. I didn't like Prodigy, but I did because I wanted to put out the word like, Hey, this is good stuff, guys. Watch it. You know? Yeah. watch prodigy and so you'll see when i put out this episode i'm going to really say like okay here's now now's your time to go watch prodigy because you can listen to these three intelligent well-spoken people talk about how great it is um but yeah i mean i love this finale on 
every level it tied up everything together. I like the idea that Gwen is going off on her own storyline because that I think can make be an interesting storyline because we're obviously going to get some of that eventually. Yeah. And then the, um, and I like that. I think they did really, you know, I think it's interesting that they kind of cemented the romance with Doll like right at the end when she's leaving. I love the scene when she took off and they were all cheering, you know, because it's important to remember that these are kids, right? That there's that there's supposed to be kids. And I think we'll see more of that when they're integrating with, you know, Janeway. Like it's the idea that Janeway has a bunch of kids on her ship that she's like teaching is eventually probably gonna annoy the hell out of the Voyager A crew, but I could be wrong. <laughs> um, but I think it's neat story, it's it's neat storytelling. And um, yeah, and I love that. So how about that? Let's talk about where we want Prodigy to go. Um, you know, we know a little bit, but Sarah, where would you like to see Prodigy go in season two? I have no idea. I'm very excited, whatever they end up doing with it. And I think the thing with Gwen was really smart, having her separate. Um, I'm not quite sold on the romance yet. Like right before the finale, I was like, it was really cool that he kissed her and she was like, what the fuck? And then it was fine and they were still friends and they didn't belabor it. He wasn't bitter and upset and went off and hurt. He was like, whatever, this is my friend. But they kind of cheapened a bit when, you know, they did kiss later on in the finale. I was kind of like, eh. it would have been better to like save that for the next season. Um, just because I think that it's really good, especially with kids to show healthy rejection. Like I think it's one, it's like a missed opportunity so they kind of half nailed it because it was a healthy rejection scene. Um, but at the same time, because he was still rewarded in the following episode, I was like, oh, I wish they had waited on that a bit. But that's the only thing that really bothered me about that. Yeah, I, I thought they did a great job of not making it romantic. And I, I think they could have kept that up a little more and it would have been good. But um, I actually am in the camp of, I don't think we're ever going to see Gwen again. Um I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm, you guys have a different take on that, but I feel like there's not much more to go to in that story. Like if you think about her storyline of the, the plot of the planet and uh, first contact and how it destroyed their planet and stuff, that's not a very good story. Like, I don't see how they go back to that in a way that is interesting. And I feel like the more they try to go back to that, the worse it'll get. And well, someone let's see, will how let's see how Chakotay is tied to that. In, yeah, in, I mean, I guess, I guess that there's something there, but, uh, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we never saw her again. I, I felt like her part of the story is over. I wonder if it's if it because I know that they've obviously cleared season two, and I'm wondering if the chick who's on Yellow Jackets, who um, does the voice for Gwen, is signed up to be a part of season two because that would obviously tell us. But she might have been too busy because of the Yellow Jackets. Yeah, we might just get her in flashbacks or something too. So you know, you never know. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say, I mean, I guess we'll find out what happens with Chakotay and the rest of the crew when they go after them. But but I mean, how interesting would it be to show up at some planet and be like, hey, you're gonna have first contact and then your internal fights are gonna, you know, destroy the whole planet. Like that just doesn't seem like a very interesting thing to explore well, more she than it's already been explored. I think she's going there to prevent the events that yeah, right. create the loop, which is interesting. And then 
you know, like, or, or would it, you know, like that's, that's the whole, who knows thing about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure they could come up with something good to do there, but I, I, I was watching it thinking we're never going to see her again. So who knows? interesting. Okay. Well, and if she has another show, that's a big hit, then that would make sense that we might not see her again, that she might get written off. And aside from aside from the little romance, she didn't really have any unfinished business or relationship with the crew. You know what I mean? Like there was no like that was it, right? Like you know, her dad and and whatever. It was all wrapped up nicely. I don't know. I, yeah, I'm curious to see if we see her again. I did like that. You know, like despite being a kids' show, it had the emotional complexity and honesty of this guy was the villain and also still her dad. And right. she was still sad when he when he passed, which I thought was really, you know, cool. Yeah. Yeah, those complicated dad feelings are a really important uh, thing to explore and good to show kids like grappling with, too, you know. Well, I, I showed uh, my oldest daughter, I showed her uh, Empire Strikes Back too early because she found out what at the Luke at the uh, the reveal of Vader being his father after the, she, the movie, she asked, why didn't Luke just go with his dad? <laughs> <laughs> so I should have waited a couple more years until she could understand that one better, but whatever. <laughs> funny. Yeah, I was I was talking to millennial co-workers about, um, you know, they were just flabbergasted that I saw Empire Strikes Back when it first came out. And I was like, well, to be fair, I was very little. Right. But um, <laughs> I... Uh, was talking about like the shock in the theater and they were like what you guys didn't know that <laughs> and i said well first off we nobody knew that darth vader we thought he was lying right yeah. and we had three years to wait and talk about whether he really was his father or not right. you know? <laughs> and awesome. uh and uh I also learned from reading Paul Hirsch's book that the original cut of Star Wars, there was no clear indication that Vader survived and that George Lucas had to go back and tell the model team to show the uh, the ship spinning out. Right. <laughs> because he's like, I think I should have Vader survive. And uh, so, you know, it's funny those little things in the story. But anyways, um, as far as... Uh, you know, I'm the only one that has an answer. I really am excited about seeing Voyager A, and I believe that's firmly what we're going to see. I think they're saving the reveal of Voyager A for, and then eventually, at some point in the series, I think long down the line, they're going to see that new protostar uh, ship that's being built. It was interesting that they showed that. Um, I don't know that it was necessary, but uh, but an interesting like little wrinkle um and i uh appreciated that so um but as far as um where it goes um i'm just excited to see these characters develop and you know it's funny because in all other star trek i'm like get away from starfleet get away from starfleet let's see the rest of the world but here i'm excited to see these guys integrate with starfleet a little bit and have to and have to do that whereas I'm now becoming one of the few defenders of Picard season one. I see a lot of people now just like crapping off. And I know Sarah, you'll join me in defending the early seasons of Picard, but 
I like Picard season one a lot because of how not Starfleet it is. Like, that's one of the things I like about it. I would love to see a whole show it set in the Star Trek universe that never is on a Starfleet episode or Starfleet ship. Like, you know, um, I've said it a million times. I'd love to see like a journalist ship, like a ship of reporters, like, or something, you know, um, and so it's weird that I feel like in this case, though, I do want to see Starfleet here, but um, it's a very strange thing that people have this sort of love for what is essentially a bureaucratic organization. And we've been reminded over and over and over again in all of Star Trek. It isn't some new thing that only New Trek is doing. Old Trek did this all the time. They talked yeah. about you know, how, oh, well, we've got to, you know, go up the pipe with this. And so therefore in that time lost, Captain Kirk saves the day and in the old, you know, in the Kirk movies and then not even the JJ movies. And then in, you know, TNG, you had the bad Admiral of the week all the time. And it was either, you know, a rogue bad Admiral or it, more often it was just bureaucratic thinking. And so over and over and over again, there's those threads talking about how the number one enemy of Starfleet is bureaucratic thinking. And yet people are so upset when you have a show that quote, doesn't feel like Star Trek because they desperately want it to be at home in that, in that uh, you know, hierarchy of, you know, if it's cut off from Starfleet, people feel very threatened. And I find that fascinating. Yeah, I do too. And that's one of the reasons why I like Deep Space Nine so much is because it's they're Starfleet officers, but they're not on a Starfleet space station. And so we got characters like Garrick and we got characters like um, Quark who could, would never be able to be in a Starfleet ship. And um, and by the way, Garrick is still, I think, one of the best characters ever in Star Trek. But, um, and I will fight, I will go to the map for that. Um, and that's one of the reasons why it was too bad that Voyager went away from the Maquis storyline so quickly and integrating all the characters. Because it was interesting to have this idea that you'd have all these non-Starfleet people trapped on a Starfleet ship 75 you know, years away from home, like having to suddenly be Starfleet. And they only did a couple episodes about that, you know? I, that drove me crazy because yeah. that was so interesting and they played with it for five seconds and then they put that toy down and, and went with other weird things like um Chicote's weird lover who was a very strange woman who like you know betrayed them and went off to to live with the uh the crazy people with the crazy hair thank you but like you know which was way less interesting than just all that they could have done with the dynamics of the Maquis and the Starfleet together on a ship that really should have taken them years to get through that and to figure out how to work together. And it was always one of the frustrating things about Voyager that they just, you know, they stumbled upon this great idea and they played with it for three, four episodes and then they were done and they were wrapped up. And I was like, no, that that's not how that would work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So on, on that note, um, well, okay. So next we've got, uh, Picard season three, which I think we we are all very excited about. I have one issue that I want to talk about with that before we watch Picard season three, because that's when we're going to get back together again. Okay, is at the end of that season. Um, look, all indications are very good. 
all the critics, even the people who didn't did not like the, the last couple seasons, say wonderful things. Um, I have very I have mutual friends of Terry Metalis, who's running the show, including a buddy of mine that used to eat lunch with him every day in the commissary when he worked at a, a adjacent office to Terry <laughs> Metalis. And he tells me that Terry is the real deal, right? And he seems to be the real deal. One of my favorite things about Terry Metalis running Picard season three is that he went to Twitter one day and said, if you really want to understand Picard season three, you must watch the TNG episode Sub Rosa, the one with Gates McFadden and the ghost. And then admitted a half an hour later, he was kidding. And like, <laughs> he basically knew that the entire Trek world would start watching that episode and try right. to be breakdown videos and everything. That is hilarious. That's really funny. Yeah. That he did that. <laughs> and if you watched when he did that was one week after he did the Star Trek writer's room reunion and Brennan Braga admitted that that was his most that episode was his most embarrassing thing in the 150 episodes of star trek that he wrote it was the right. one he was most embarrassed about so you know he was needling brandon totally. by <laughs> doing that which was hilarious right no i give terry a ton of credit because he has been trolling everyone um <laughs> consistently i love that but he's the real deal and here's the thing all indications are his intention was to give the send-off to the TNG crew that they didn't get with Nemesis. Here's the problem. It's so good, and everyone had such a great time making it. You see Gates McFadden, Patrick Stewart, they're all like, it doesn't have to be the end. My <laughs> personal feeling is, let it end. If they do a good job, please, for the love of God, don't keep trying to do more. Have a good ending. How do you guys feel about that? I'm very, I'm very firm in this belief that this has to be their undiscovered country. Just, I mean, I, I feel like it's, they're all just getting so old, and I, 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 it breaks my heart. I mean, I remember the first time that when Picard season one came out, you could really, for the first time, hear the cracks in in Stewart's voice, and it was just, it was just the most tangible reminder of his you know, mortality that we've seen yet. And it was heartbreaking. Um, so in which, that sense. Which I, I liked I, that they let him be old in the series. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was, that was great. Like, that was the whole point. But I do think that I, I am happy to have, you know, because this is, this is the most familial show to me because the one that I grew up with is closest to my heart. I won't say it's my favorite series, but it's definitely the one that is with me the most strongest as a child. So I will take the bad episodes. So if they want to make more, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I'll take them. But I mean, I think that you, you, I think that we have always had a different ending in our heads anyway than Nemesis, where Nemesis felt like it was a wrap up for Data that was sort of not bad, but not as good as Data deserved. And then the first season of the card was that wrap up for Data that we deserve that for just that for that character. Um, but I do think that the rest of the cast deserves the same. So it would be nice to see that. But, I, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, if it ends really well, then you might not want to touch it. But I just I can never say no to more. I'm just <laughs> let it end. <laughs> 
Let it end. I'm, I'm with Sarah there. I could never say no to more. And knowing as, uh, you know, as a creative person, as every creative person deals with this, it's really hard to walk away or to, you know, not draw from the well that one last time. Like if the opportunity's there for many reasons. I mean, not, um, you know, the, the reason that people usually stop making stuff is because they're busy with something else. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, if you're, you know, if you are, you know, if you get a new series and you're working on that full time and you don't have any time to go revisit your old series, then you're probably not going to do the old series again. But if you're just sitting around and not doing anything else, then it's really hard to say no when someone wants to do it. So it's like getting the band back together. Every band does it. You know, they as soon as there's yeah. demand for a reunion, the band's playing a reunion. So yeah. And when the the Hard season me. one came out and people were upset, I was like, I don't think we are not the same. I would watch that man knit socks and <laughs> talk about his vineyard and just be an old man on a vineyard. And I would yeah. watch it. All, I would watch it over and over again. And so like these people who want only these prepackaged versions of their nostalgia that's been, you know, bottled, recycled and sold back to them. I'm just like, I don't, I don't compute. That doesn't compute to me. I just yeah. don't get it. No, seeing the TNG characters is like, see, is like visiting with old friends, you know, like yeah. I'm just curious what they're up to now. I don't care what they're up to. I just say, hey, that's mm -hmm. cool. You know what I mean? Like maybe not, I wouldn't, might not watch knitting socks over and over, but you give me anything approaching a watchable storyline and I'm there for it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so this happened to me in basketball a couple of weeks ago. I was playing a game where I was on a team with a bunch of guys that were really good. I was the worst guy on the team by far and we were playing a game that was tied at 13 the winner has wins at 15 and i hit a three-pointer that was the guy was in my face i drained it everybody who was watching ran up and like started hugging me and like oh my god and they were all going like this like it's dave time and like it was like the greatest thing i didn't go home <laughs> i should have gone home should have gone home yeah because I stayed one more game and I dribbled the ball off my foot and I gave up like two easy buckets that were completely the reason why my team lost the next game. And I was like, God damn it. If I had gone home for a week, everyone would be talking about, you see that shot, David Bay? Holy oh, shit, he was the hero of the game. And I didn't. I stayed. And I looked, I, and, and I had the thought after I made that shot, I'm going home. I'm going yeah. home right now. Well, see, you 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 gotta go home. Two, you're combining two Hollywood truisms, right? One is you go out on top, right? Yeah. But then the other is come back later. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> like there is a reunion. You have to give it some time. You have to be like, you know, always leave them wanting more. But then you have to actually give them more when the opportunity presents. I just think that if you they should have gone home, it, you should have come back next week. If they nail it and they give us a perfect ending. Like, I, I'm not saying we couldn't see Jordy in one mm -hmm. episode of something else, or we couldn't see, like, in the seven show, we might see Worf one time or or whatever. I'm just saying, as a crew, they should, if they get it and they nail it, go off winners. Take the walk off. Take sure. That's all I'm saying. That I, like, that's especially Patrick Stewart, because he... yeah definitely is getting older and he should take the walk off and like it's clear that they were trying to do that with the first season and then rewrote it at the end you know 
and like maybe it's partially because like that season wasn't as good but but and all indications are that terry metallis's entire purpose when he sat down with the writer's room was let's give them the send-off they deserve let's give them their undiscovered country you right. know let's it's just too hard it's like you know we can make a movie <laughs> you know what i mean like there's just yeah. it's if it's successful and everyone had fun and you know it's really hard to say no to more yeah well, and i think that that the better question is you know it's not a question of whether they should do more or not it's a question of if they're going to do it do it for the right reasons like yeah. they did they did Picard for the right reasons. Like, and I explain to people all the time, people will PM me and say, I got a friend the other day who messaged me. Once again, this happens all the time. Somebody's like, what am I, what am I not getting about Picard? I'm really not enjoying it the same as Discovery or Strange New Worlds. And I'm like, what you're not getting is that it is Patrick Stewart's personal vision as to what mattered most about his character. And that all by itself is fascinating. Like I'm all about on board with you know if patrick stewart wants to write a show about the relationships that mattered most to picard as he sees it then he is the one who's most qualified to answer that so i think that i'm fine with if they wanted to come out with more movies or whatever but don't let nemesis happen you know don't let what happens where things get bogged down and you know rewritten and you know band-aids are slapped on top of things and things are rushed or they don't have the budget for what they want or they hold themselves to impossible standards and then it tanks because, you know, every TNG movie that they made other than First Contact feels like an episode. Generations gets a pass because there's a certain amount of grandeur because they gave Kirk his sort of final exit again. But, you know, it the other ones, all of the other TNG movies were fine. They just felt like episodes. They felt like normal episodes. Only First Contact had enough cinematic grandeur to compete with Wrath of Khan and felt like a real, you know, separate uh, entity. It didn't feel like just an episode that they happened to make for a movie. And so, you know, if they do it for the right reasons and they, they get the right creative people involved, I'm on board. So, so I, I highly recommend that people watch this uh, Writers Guild Association reunion with the Star Trek writers because it it's a it's a wide variety. They have writers on the new shows. They have Terry Metalis from Picard Where Season is Three. It? It's on YouTube. And um, the only thing is the moderator is fucking terrible. And I'm just going to go out and say that publicly. <laughs> he does not know how to moderate a Zoom panel because he'd ask a question. And there's 15 writers. And he doesn't like address who he wants to respond. Uh, so they all sit there for like a minute, like no one knows who to respond. And it drove me fucking nuts. That and then they all say sense. something at the same time. And then they're all silent again. Yeah, for, yeah, exactly. And they all say something again. Oh, I hate that. that. So like one of the things that's really neat about it is, is that you have Hewitt, Robert Hewitt-Wolf, who was writer on Deep Space Nine. You have Brand Braga, who was on Voyager. You have Terry Metalis, who show runs picard now but was brandon's assistant on voyager like literally his assistant right um and then you have akila cooper who just wrote megan by the way who is a writer on strange new worlds and then you know it's kind of cool to see these young writers saying like oh you had to do 26 of these <laughs> like a year and they're like totally weirded out by that you know and to see the two generations of writers, it's a really neat kind of thing. 
but you also see the roots of um terry metallis um trolling all the fans <laughs> which is really funny fantastic um, on that note um all right so we're going to be back for Picard season three. Um, we'll make sure to do it um, on time. I will plan for that this time. Um, and we'll, we'll probably have somebody else uh, joining us for that one. That's a pretty big one. Um, but if you made it this far, I forgot to promote my new book, Nightmare City. I should be telling all the time I should be promoting this book because I need to be selling it. And I don't, I don't do commercials on this show. I just sell my books. That's it. I saw a study that the uh, the hundred and thirteenth minute of a podcast is the ideal time to promote. Of product. course it is. Yeah, <laughs> of course it is. And of course, I meant to do this at the beginning, but I forgot. So, um, but yeah, this is the best time. And uh, when we when we're wrapping up, uh, so Issa, uh, you don't want people to find you. No, if if you know, you know. <laughs> You'll be back. Um, I don't know if you'll be back before then, but you're going to be doing Bad Batch with us. We're making you watch Star Wars cartoons. Uh, I'll have to. I'm on the first episode still. It's taken me like a month. I'm still on the first episode, so I'll try my best. We're, we're making you do it. Um, and Sarah, oh, Sarah, we're here at the end. So next time, maybe we'll talk about V if you uh get back on and what how much did you watch the original miniseries but not the second one or no i think i watched the first episode of the original miniseries okay yeah yeah i would i would say feel free to skip the final battle and just watch the second half of the original miniseries but you know i'll watch the final battle watch the final battle I, I am fascinated to hear what you think of it. So. Uh, that's true. I, I am too. I just didn't want. I to definitely it. meant to to finish it. Just things have been kind of crazy lately. So, yeah, I I uh, uh, I want to I want to know how you feel because this one was so important to us kids back then. Like, and Issa knows I found I did finally find my picture in my V T shirt with my V ray gun, <laughs> like from, from when I was in third grade. I didn't send it to her, so. Very cool. All right. On that note, folks, um, uh, well, you know where to find me, Sarah. Uh, if people want to uh, talk Trek with you, where can they find you? Facebook. Just, you know, come for the Star Trek, stay for the random feminist rants. I apologize. <laughs> and the uh, awesome um, Lord of the Rings inspired outfits, too. Like, yeah. I'm pretty impressed by that recently. So <laughs> that was. Uh, that was pretty cool. So, uh, well, everybody, thanks for joining us. If you made it this far, you're a trooper. Um, and see, I like to give content for the people who listen to the end, right? Yeah, like sure. something good, you know, something really great. Like you made it this far, you're a trooper. Um, or you're just really bored on the treadmill or something. You know, you've made it this far. And good job working out, whoever you are. So, um, <laughs> or good job on your walk or however you're listening. All right, folks, thanks for joining us on Postcards from a Dying World. We'll be back with Picard Season 3 with our Star Trek panel. And thanks for joining us.